Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome all of you here to the Father's house as we talk about the future of Mount Horeb. Let me begin by welcoming all of our folks from the traditional service uh, who came in here this morning to worship with us and, and some louder music and some brighter lights. And uh, thank you for doing that. And I just want to say this as we talk about our future, that Mount Horeb will always be committed to offering both traditional and contemporary worship because we believe traditional worship is important. And so we're here in this room here today because we couldn't all fit in the sanctuary. But we have spirit-filled, gifted leaders, servants in both places, and we want to thank you. Also, I want to say a word to our visitors and non-members. Uh, today, we're talking about some uh, church-related stuff. Uh, this is maybe not the sermon you came expecting to hear at the beginning of the new year, but we want to welcome you as well. So we begin a new sermon series called Blueprints, and I've got some here with me today. Uh, these are some of the church blueprints. I couldn't carry the entire blueprints. It was much too heavy. But I can assure you that the ground you're sitting upon, the chair you're in on the floor you're sitting on is solid. And whether it's uh, five years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, that if someone doesn't come and literally take a bulldozer and knock all this down, this foundation is still going to be here because it's a solid foundation. Also, I got some blueprints of the United Methodist Church. This is our book of discipline that has within it the administrative blueprints and the doctrinal standards of what we call and believe as United Methodists. And this is a blueprint that we look to. I've got some places marked in, as you can tell. And then most of importantly, I have before me uh, the blueprint of God's word. And this, these are the instructions by which we live our lives as Christians. Uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, these are blueprints that we believe in. So today's sermon is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it'll have a different uh, direction in it as far as maybe what you're used to. You know, I, um, I wasn't going to share this, but so many of my sermons have been marked by uh, talking about our family. And let me just say a word about something that is 16 and a half feet long, four feet tall, and four inches wide. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? 16 and a half feet long, four feet tall, and four inches wide. It is a balance beam for gymnasts. Yesterday, I watched our granddaughter, Harper Grace, move up to a new level, skip a level, move to a new level, and go into a coliseum full of people. And I saw her literally shaking. She could not control herself. She was shaking. She wouldn't let anybody touch her because she was shaking so much. And then she proceeded to get on that balance beam and do the most difficult routine, the best she's ever done. And I was blown away. And I was thankful that the Lord got her through that and got me through that. Uh, and I thought, hey, I'm going to preach a very difficult sermon tomorrow. But if Harper Grace can do it, I can do it. You know, this stage is a lot wider than that four inch balance beam. Some of you may not be aware of the division and the schism that is going on within our denomination. Our United Methodist Church denomination is divided and we have a denomination in crisis. And I wanna to speak to that today through some scripture that I believe God has laid on my heart. In fact, as the Lord laid this on my heart, as I began to drill down into this passage and see how it impacted where we are today, I got emotional because I was laying in bed one night and I realized that this was the very first passage that I preached on in seminary in my homiletics class. 
And so from over 40 years ago to today, God has been preparing me for this message. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? From Matthew 7, 24 through 29. So then anyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain poured down, the rivers flooded over, and the wind blew hard against that house, but it did not fall because it was built on rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not obey them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain poured down, the rivers flooded over, and the wind blew hard against that house, and it fell. And what a terrible fall that was. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed at the way he taught. He, he wasn't like the teachers of the law. Instead, he taught with authority. The word of God, the words of Jesus for the people of God may be seated. Gracious God, I pray today that the words of Jesus would uh, be clear in our hearts and be clear in our minds. We thank you for your love for this world. We thank you for your love for your church. And I pray that you would give me words to speak on a very solid foundation. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In our text today, we have the words of Jesus, two builders, two houses, two foundations, and two different results when the storms of life hit. One house stood the storm, the other house fell in the storm. The wise builder is the one who listens to the words of Jesus and obeys them and builds on the rock. The foolish builder listened to the words of Jesus but did not obey them did not put them into practice, and the house built on the sand fell. Now, one of the things that we see in this text is that the storms of life come to both the wise and the foolish. And all of us at times in our life have been foolish, and times in our life, by the grace of God, we've been wise. We've all been exposed to the storms, the elements of life. We will all be exposed to problems, exposed to sorrows, exposed to difficulties, exposed to challenges, exposed to persecution. Being a child of God does not give anyone immunity from the problems, the difficulties, the trials of life. Jesus said earlier in this text in Matthew, you can count on it. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Now, this parable is the conclusion of one of the greatest teachings in the Bible. But these are not the only words of Jesus in the Bible. They are found throughout the Gospels. And I believe they are found throughout the Bible. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's own one and only Son. The Word became flesh. The Word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. I believe the words of Jesus are found throughout the Bible. The Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. And Jesus speaks and preaches from the Old Testament. In the book of Acts, Jesus is preached. In the epistles, Jesus is explained. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is expected to return. So today I want to use this parable of the two builders as a metaphor for our future. 
a metaphor for the United Methodist Church, a metaphor for Mount Horeb and churches like Mount Horeb. In Matthew 16, Jesus said this, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Let me say to you this morning that Mount Horeb is not a perfect church because there are no perfect churches because churches are made up of imperfect people. But I believe that Mount Horeb is committed to hearing the words of Jesus Christ and putting them into practice. One of our core values is that truth is essential. Truth is found in the word of God. So as I work my way through this talk, I wanna say two things to you. I'm gonna be speaking from my convictions and what I believe is true about the word of God. But also I wanna speak with compassion. I wanna hold those two things equally in my hands, my convictions and my compassions. And I wanna challenge all of us as we listen this morning to listen with conviction, but also with compassion. Because we know that not everybody is going to agree with the understanding of scripture that I have or we have. I understand that. But I wanna go down that path with compassion and understanding with God's help. Throughout history, God has called his people to repentance because they strayed from obeying his words. In fact, God so loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to fulfill a broken sacrificial system by becoming the ultimate sacrifice himself. And the whole movement of Christianity began. The new covenant fulfilling the old covenant. In the 16th century, Martin Luther became concerned that the Catholic church was hearing but not obeying the words of Jesus and launched the Protestant Reformation. In the 18th century, John Wesley felt concerned that the Anglican church was no longer obeying the words of Jesus to reach the lost and the least. He never intended to begin a new movement or a denomination, but from his vision and his compassion and his convictions, the Methodist church was formed to bring revival and renewal across England and to quickly spread across America. Today, we find ourselves at a crossroad. We find ourselves in a denominational crisis. And I wanna lift up two major reasons that we are in crisis. The first is about the authority of scripture. Let me define what, to you what I mean by the authority of scripture. I believe the Bible is God's final word written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. That the Bible is the final authority for determining our Christian beliefs and how we are to live. I believe the Bible offers a transforming relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Bible cannot be replaced, reinvented, or rewritten by individuals who seek to make their version of personal truth and morality. Now, I've been a Methodist for 53 years, a United Methodist pastor for 42 years, and I've always believed that the Bible to be the inspired word of God. I believe the Bible doesn't change. I believe that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I've lived my ministry and my Christian life on the words of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. But our United Methodist denomination is straying from the authority of God's word. Now we are blessed to have a bishop in South Carolina, Bishop Jonathan Holton, who believes like we believe in the authority of scripture. 
but also know that Bishop Holston will not be our bishop until only until September of 2024. This past general uh, jurisdictional conference is in the United Methodist Church in November. We elected 13 new bishops for the United Methodist Church. And I can tell you that all 13 of those new bishops are very progressive in their theology and some question the authority of scripture. There are other bishops and pastors and teachers in our seminaries who believe a new revelation takes precedence over what's in the Bible. And as the culture changes, the Bible needs to change to keep up with that. Our own Dr. Bill Balknight wrote these words. The major tragedy of the United Methodist Church is that many clergy and some laypersons have gradually stopped believing these words from the United Methodist Book of Discipline, that the Holy Bible is to be received through the Holy Spirit as a true rule and guide for faith and practice. Ken Carter, who is the Bishop of the Western North Carolina uh, Annual Conference, past president of the Council of Bishops, made this statement. And while I believe in our traditional Orthodox faith that's rooted in scriptures, I also have always believed that we have to adapt our doctrine and our scriptures to changing life circumstances that people have. Bishop Karen Oliveto, a practicing lesbian bishop from the Mountain Sky Conference, United Methodist Church, said these things, and I quote, too many folks want to box Jesus in, to carve him in stone, create an idol out of him. But this story, in referring to the uh, message she was speaking on, the Canaanite woman who brings her child for Jesus to be healed, says, but this story cracks the pedestal we put him on. Like you and me, he didn't have his life figured out. He was still growing, maturing, and putting pieces together about who he was and what he was supposed to do. We might think of him as the rock of ages, but he was more like a hunk of clay forming and reforming himself in relation to God. If Jesus can change, if he can give up his own bigotries and prejudices, then so can we. There are other examples, public statements from pastors and bishops, some bishops that defy, I believe, the clear teaching of scripture and the historic views of Christian faith. It's very troubling when I read and hear those things from our United Methodist leaders. Some who may say that Christ was a great teacher, but not the son of God, or Jesus only rose in the teachings of the church, but didn't have a physical resurrection. Last year, one of our bishops, Mike Lowry, from the Central Texas Conference, surrendered his credentials as a bishop, as a United Methodist, and in his letter of withdrawal from the Council of Bishops, and the United Methodist Church, he wrote these words. Regretfully, I perceive that the institutional expression of the United Methodist Church has strayed in significant ways from faithfully upholding its stated discipline and even more do departed from the full truth of the gospel. The presenting issue is characterized by a dispute over our understanding of human sexuality, more specifically, whether or not our clergy should be allowed to perform same-gender marriages and whether it's permissible to ordain self-avowed practicing LGBTQAI persons. He goes on to say, our strong contention is the presenting issues mask the deeper and truly significant disagreement over what constitutes fidelity to the historic confessions of the Christian faith. And certainly some of the struggle centers around sexual ethics, the definition of marriage. I believe the struggle has always been about the authority of scripture, the integrity of scripture, the historic Christian faith has declared in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed what we believe about Jesus Christ. Shane Bishop, a former United Methodist pastor, said this, sin will ask to be tolerated, 
ask to be accepted, and then demand to be celebrated. What are the subtle ways in which we abandon the authority of Scripture? I want to suggest there's three ways that we abandon the authority of Scripture. One is selective evidence. We read only parts of the Scriptures that we want to read. We ignore 2,000 years of biblical scholarship and say that that no longer matters. Selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear. The Barner Group did a study that revealed the basis of people's moral and ethical decisions these days is more likely to be based on feelings and less likely to be based on the Bible. And then there's what Jesus talked about in his parable, selective obedience, that we obey the words of Jesus that feel safe. We obey the words of Jesus that are non-confrontational. We obey the words of Jesus that won't cause people to not like us. The Lord led me this week as I was wrestling with this message to Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, where Paul writes, I am not trying to please people. I want to please God. Do you think I'm trying to please people? If I were doing that, I would not be a servant of Christ. My friends, I want you to know that no one made up the message I preach. The crisis of the authority of Scripture. The second major crisis I believe we are suffering in our denomination is accountability. In 1786, John Wesley, the founder of this Methodist movement, wrote these words. I'm not afraid that the people called Methodist should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Bishop Scott Jones, the bishop in Texas, made this statement. Increasing disobedience and escalating conflict in the denomination has made my service as a bishop of the whole church seem much more problematic. My further reflection has led me to believe I can best serve Christ in retirement. As he ended his tenure as United Methodist Bishop uh, most recently. The United Methodist position on sexual ethics and the definition of marriage has not changed since 1972. Even though it's been challenged every four years in our general conferences. In 2019, we had a special called general conference to settle the discussion and debate once and for all concerning human sexuality and sexual ethics and the definition of marriage. Again, the traditional orthodox understanding of Christian marriage was upheld. But ever since that 2019 general conference, there's been open disobedience and defiance to the book of discipline. The Western jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church just elected this November their second practicing gay bishop. Second Timothy 4 says these words. Paul writes these words to young Timothy. For the time will come when men will not put up a sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand because the foundation will be faulty. 
we have widespread, irreconcilable theological differences and convictions within our denomination. So today I want to acknowledge these things. In 1968, when the United Methodist Church was formed, there was a little over 11 million members. In the early 70s, the denomination began to move in a more progressive, pluralistic direction, mainly because our United Methodist Seminaries grew more and more liberal. By 2020, the United Methodist Church has declined by over 4 million members. By contrast, Mount Horeb, over the last 30 years, by maintaining a strong belief in the authority of Scripture and by following the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church, we have grown by over 1,700%, from 270 members to over 5,000 members. I want to acknowledge today that many of the largest and most effective United Methodist churches have already voted to separate from the United Methodist Church. The Woodlands United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas, 14,000 members voted 96% to leave the United Methodist Church. Mount Bethel in Marietta, Georgia, 10,000 member church, the largest Methodist church in Georgia, voted to leave the denomination. Fraser United Methodist Church, the largest church in Alabama, in Montgomery, Alabama, also made the same decision. To date, over 2,100 United Methodist churches have disaffiliated or separated from the denomination. And I believe that number by the end of 2023 will be between 3,000 and 5,000 Methodist churches. So as we discern this process, we are not alone in discerning this process. For the past six months, a way forward team made up of 13 of our lay leaders in our church have studied, have prayed, have discerned, have met with our bishop and recommended to the Mount Horb Administrative Council that the church should begin the process of separating from the United Methodist Church. In September, our administrative council voted to separate from the denomination, but there wasn't a plan in South Carolina. There wasn't a path in South Carolina. There wasn't a price in South Carolina to what it would cost to leave. Of the 54 annual conferences in the United Methodist Church throughout the country, we were the last annual conference to receive a plan, a path, and a price. And on December, on December 19th, this past December, our bishop released a separation plan that had to be completed by March 1, 2023. Now, if that seems like a tight schedule, it is. And our church has been preparing uh, for some time to walk through this process. On December 21st, the Mount Horb Administrative Council unanimously approved to move forward with that decision. Now, I would say to you as your pastor, this is not my decision. This is your decision. As the congregation, as members of Mount Horb, this is your decision. But I would tell you this morning that I agree with our church leadership. It's time for Mount Horb to pursue a process of discernment regarding separation from the United Methodist Church. And regardless of Mount Horb's decision, Lynn and I must decide where God is calling us. We spend our entire ministry and life together in the United Methodist Church. And our hearts are broken by the brokenness of our denomination. But we are also excited about the future for the people called Methodist. So tomorrow, as Chad said, we will begin a required discernment process with 40 days of prayer and fasting. The plan that has been put forth by our bishop requires 30 days. But because we are a prayer-driven church, we're going to go 40 days because we believe that 40 days is a biblical thing. 40 days of prayer and fasting. As Chad said, there will be printed materials available for you in a limited amount after the services. So leave a few for the 1045 crowd. Uh, our printers broke down this week, you know, how that would happen, right? And uh, 
So there'll be more available, but they are online. So you can uh, certainly use that prayer um, process online. And let me just say, if you're not getting our prayer prompts, we send out prayer prompts every morning, uh, most every morning at 6 a.m. And during this season of discernment, those will be our prayer prompts over the next 40 days beginning tomorrow. There also will be plenty of printed materials available, some in limited, again, form, a booklet that will walk you through. There's no way in this sermon that I can answer all your questions, uh, but there will be a booklet available. There will be plenty of materials online. There will be videos online from our lay leaders and staff for even more clarity. We'll be offering three listening sessions uh, for you to come to. There will be one church-wide meeting. Before we have a church-wide conference, uh, church conference, where professing members must be present to vote in order to discern or make a decision to separate from the United Methodist Church. It will require a two-third majority vote to leave. Now, we don't yet have the total cost, the total price of what it's going to cost. We will know those final numbers in the next couple weeks. But in preparation for this possibility, Mount Horb has on hand the required funds in reserves to pay that cost. The date for the vote that we will take will be the end of February. I can't give you the exact date until we complete the total process, but as soon as we have that date, you will know. Now, if Mount Hor votes to separate from the denomination, I want you to hear me say this. We, aren't, we won't be leaving Methodism. In fact, if we leave the United Methodist Church, it's so we can be faithful Methodists. And I also want you to hear me say that if you have made Mount Horb your home, this is your church. We're going to be the same church that we are right now, no matter what the vote is. We're going to vote to be the same church. We're going to be, have the same core values, the same theological framework, the same belief of standing on the word of God. We'll be the same church. Now, people have asked me what will be our affiliation if we choose to separate. I will tell you there'll be multiple opportunities to align with like-minded Methodist churches. And once we navigate these, this season of discernment, have a church vote based on the results of that, we'll begin to discern what is the best path. But I can assure you that wherever this church lands, it will continue to build a foundation on the word of God. The words of Jesus Christ will be the foundation. So in closing today, what is our assignment? Our assignment is to begin 40 days of prayer and fasting, going through a process of discernment. But also I'd want you to know that over the last five or six years, so many of our ministries and, and dreams and visions and projects have been on hold, waiting for our general conference of the United Methodist Church to make a decision. It, is delayed, it made a decision in 2019, but then because of widespread disobedience and disagreement, we have been in schism and division. And those general conferences that were supposed to meet to decide all of this have been postponed in 2020, 21, 22, 23, and postponed into 2024. We believe it's time to get on with our assignment to expand our ministries on our existing campus. We've been blessed with over 125 to 130 acres with opportunities to make a much larger king, kingdom impact locally. We need to expand our impact through leadership training of new people for ministry, opportunities for the people of Mount Hoare, but also for a new Methodist movement locally and globally. We need to expand our reach by planting churches all over the state that, where there is not a strong evangelical Orthodox Methodist presence. 
We need to expand our global partnerships around the world. And we'll move through this process of the discernment through prayer, through fasting. I want to tell you that these are the words that God has given me personally as I have been praying through this whole process. I want to give them to you today and challenge all of us to move in this way. I said two of them already. I'm going to move forward as a pastor with conviction. Conviction on what I believe to be the word of God. But also I'm going to move forward with compassion and care for people who may or not agree with where Mount Horeb lands. I've said this to many people that on any given Sunday, there are people that walk through the doors of our church as sinners. All of us walk into our doors as sinners. Can I say amen to that? All of us are broken people. All of us are a work in, pro in process. On any given Sunday, we have people that walk through our doors that are struggling with being faithful to their spouse. We have people that are struggling with addictions. We have people that are struggling with uh, cheating on their income taxes. We have people that are struggling with stealing from their employers. We have people struggling with pornography. We have people struggling with their gender identity. We have people struggling with the definition of marriage and what they believe about that. But I think you know, as a member or a tender of Mount Horb, that we never stand at any door and ask you to check a box in order to come here. Every person has always been welcome to come to Mount Horb. Every person will always be welcome to come to Mount Horb. And when you arrive here, with the grace and the love of God, we will share with you what we believe is God's best plan for you. Not based on our opinion, but based on what God's word clearly says. We've always done that with grace. And this has been your church home. That's what we will continue to do as a church here at Mount Horb. Now, Jesus' parable of the two builders is about building a safe house, a safe house that would withstand the storms and crisis of life. This past week, we had some major storms come through and we were in the middle of staff meetings and Mary says, is this a safe room? This is a safe room because we have a solid foundation. But we got inside of one of those rooms with the inner walls as a tornado warning was out. Build a safe house that will withstand the storms and crisis of life. You know, it says here in the end of the text, that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching and his authority. I'm always amazed at the teaching of Jesus. I'm amazed at his authority. But people today are bewildered by the teaching of some of our United Methodist leaders and their disregard for the authority of God's word. My hope and prayer is for our church to be who we've always been, a church whose foundation is built on Jesus Christ a church that believes the Bible was inspired by God and still is authoritative for our lives. A church that loves our Wesleyan heritage and is true to our Methodist roots. A church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform any life. A church that loves and welcomes all. And a church that wins people to Jesus Christ and disciples them in the faith and helps them, those in need, locally and globally. A church that is changing the world for the glory of God. That is defined this ministry of Mount Horeb through the years. Now, you come here today, I'm sure with a lot of questions based on a letter perhaps you received from me or what you read in the newspaper, et cetera, or saw online. Maybe you came here not knowing any of this was gonna be said and you came here because your life has been unsteady. Your life has 
been struggling and you're looking for something more solid. For all of us, I want to leave us with these words from Psalm 40. He lifted me out of the pit of destruction, out of the sticky mud. He stood me on a rock and made my feet steady. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many people will see this and worship him and then they will trust the Lord. Today, I trust the Lord. I trust his words. And I can tell you with complete confidence that as we look at our blueprints, as long as this blueprint stands above this blueprint of the United Methodist Church, we will be on a solid foundation. But if this blueprint becomes more important than this blueprint, we have a shaky foundation. It is my prayer that as a church, that this will be our blueprint and our guideline. Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you that today you have been here through the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you these incredible worship songs that have been sung, speaking to our hearts, speaking to my heart. Lord, I thank you for all the words that uh, I've been prepared to share with the congregation, prayers, scripture, testimonies, as we share who Mount Horeb is in the days ahead. God, I pray you bless this congregation with conviction, with compassion, with courage, with clarity, and with conviction. Lord, that you would give us clarity in the days ahead and you would give us confidence that you are leading us every step of the way. God, may you move in our midst. May you give us the vision that we need. Lord, be our vision. Your word guide us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.